this year, you know, the Lord had me start the year with a theme of holiness. And as I read scripture, and as we've been reading and going forward, what he has been stirring in my heart is to look for his holiness amongst his people. Look for the work of consecration and sanctification that he continuously did among his people. How he did it. You know, our God is a God of laws. And what we see is that as soon as he delivered the children from the hands of Pharaoh, he began to give them laws. And I would like to ask, what do you think the purpose, the very innate purpose of God's law is? What is he trying to achieve by giving us his law? I'll just say that the way I understand it from the word is that it is to reveal sin to us. Because we wouldn't know what is right and wrong without the law. Yes, it is to reveal sin. Amen. Praise the Lord. Why would God want to reveal sin to his people? The purpose of his law was to reveal sin so that we would understand what separates us from him. Amen. And if we understood what separates us from a holy God, we would refrain from those things so that we can draw nigh to a holy God. You know, we see by Exodus 33, where God is so angry when the children of Israel sinned in Mount Sinai. And last week we learned that God is a consuming fire. Amen. And that he would destroy anything that is defiled in his presence. You know, that's why I believe when Moses came and met God in the burning bush, God says, take off your sandals for you're standing on holy ground. You know, everything that has to be in the very presence of God, there is a sanctification process that had to take place in order for you to be in his holy presence. And I believe that when God speaks to his children and tells them, be obedient to these commandments, is an act of consecration. It is a requirement that keeps you sanctified before your God. That is why I believe when God told Moses that go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in the midst lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Why did God continue to tell them that? Because, first of all, the children of Israel came to know God in relationship. They knew his standards. They knew his commandments. But yet, their stiff-necked character caused them to continue in sin. And God, knowing what they would continue to do in the future, at the given point in time, did not want to walk with them. He didn't want to be in their midst because the people were adamant in their sins. But now I want us to take the time as we are going through to think of every time God gave his law in the scripture. Every time he gave us his commandments, every time he told us to practice certain behaviors, what was the purpose of that behavior? Was so that his people will live in holiness, in purification, and so that his presence will be amongst his people. And oftentimes we talk about our bodies being the temple of the Holy Spirit, which symbolizes the presence of God in his people. And we know that this temple should be kept holy so that the presence of God can dwell in it. So how did the people treat 
the presence of God. We know from that time by Exodus 33, going downward, God had been giving them specifications as to how to build his temple, how to structure his temple, the people that were to serve in his temple. Everything was ready for the priest to come and minister before the Lord. He said one thing that was extremely paramount. He said, consecrate for me Aaron and his children. Meaning, separate these people so that they can be in a state of holiness to be in my presence. I don't think God has changed that standard. Amen. Where well, we need to learn what it means to come before his presence and to be in a state of holiness. Psalm chapter 19 verses 7 to 10. It says, the law of the law is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the law is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Meaning all these things, the, the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the statutes of the Lord, the commandments of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the judgments of the Lord, these things are more to be desired than gold. Gold symbolizing the, the things we consider to be precious in our lives. That those things should take a second place in our lives. And that we are to desire more these things, that these attributes of God than the things of this world. Why? Because they make for you a holy people. They create an environment where the presence of God can dwell in. Because now we see God was ready to not walk with the children of Israel and send his angels to walk with them because the children of Israel did not want to walk in a state of holiness. And so that is why I, when I look at God from the standpoint of that which is profane and that which is holy, I echo this statement that Dr. John once said, Sometimes we pray for blessings in our sinful condition, in an all-repentant heart. And he said something that I've never forgotten, that if God were to bless us in a state of unholiness, we would think that God is endorsing our sinful ways. That's why God will first demand that children obey his commandments, and then the blessings flow from obedience. I want us to look at what God is doing through Israel. I just want to read from Exodus chapter 23, verses 1 to 9, and see what God is saying. And Jesus echoes that in the Sermon of the Mount. One particular theme there, talking about how the children of Israel are to walk before him, right? In a state of holiness, again, we keep that theme. You shall not circulate a false report. Do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. Here again, we see God separate the holy from the profane. I like to look at things like from this standpoint. If God is telling us not to do something, it therefore means the opposite is true. That was being done among the people or the nations surrounding Israel. That is an action that was already taking place. So God takes his time to address some of these things to separate his people 
from the other people so he can create a holy nation before him so that, be, so that they can become a nation of priests. A, a nation of priests who will go forth into the world and teach others and show others what it means to serve and worship their God. Amen. So God is now pointing out a lot of these things that Israel should refrain from doing. But see what God is admitting here. There is evil in the world, but you have called to rise above the evil that is around you. You are called to rise above the evil that even some of you do practice in my midst, in his holy presence. Do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. You shall not follow a crowd to do evil. Well, beloved, I, I think we are seeing that a lot today. We are seeing that a lot today. People following the patterns of the world as we see them today. You know, the, the social media trends that, you know, Dr. John once said, how do you do a spiritual mapping? You walk into a particular city. You don't commence to start preaching the gospel. First, you ask the Lord to reveal to you what is going on in the city. What kind of sins are prevalent in that city? What kind of things are people practicing that, that really repulse the presence of God. And when you walk and you start listening and seeing certain activities that are prevalent in, in, in that society, you can know the kind of spirits that are operating in that region to bring forth sin and iniquity before a holy God. And then you can start praying against those things, asking God to give you the authority to transform the hearts and the minds of the people so they can forsake those things. Well, you see, God was mentioning these things to Israel because Again, I believe there were many people who were doing these things around them. You know, when we look at, I think it's Deuteronomy chapter 18, God talks about a lot of the evil things that the nations around them were doing. Offering their children to Baal, worshiping false god, witchcraft, sorcery, all these things that were happening. God continues to show us that we are to rise above the things we see people practice in our society and in our community. But I read again, nor shall you testify in a dispute as to turn aside after many to pervert justice. Are we seeing justice being perverted in our city? We can see that in this political sphere, in our justice system, the two-tier justice system that we are seeing here. One being persecuted for something, for the same crime another person is doing, but because they have different party affiliates, the same justice is not applied. That is justice that is being corrupted. What happens in a nation where justice is corrupted? Lawlessness abounds. Lawlessness abounds. And that's exactly what we are seeing happen in our society. So again, we look at it from this perspective. How do we, as children of God, as a nation of priests that God is raising up to himself, as the church, stand to divide the profane from the holy? How do we live lives that speak to that reality of the kingdom of God? I think the bottom line of all of God's commandments, the bottom line of how we are to view the world and how we are to understand uh, the, the, the nature of the world as it is, is to understand that the moment the world was corrupted by sin and everything in it, God decided to redeem the people whom he chose to redeem so that we would be a reflection of his righteousness. And in doing so, the world would know that there is still hope. There is still hope that we don't have to act in our sinful nature. 
that we can give ourselves up and allow Christ to live in and through us so that the righteousness of God can abound on the earth. Amen. But now he's calling us to rise above that, to be in the spirit, to live according to the spirit, to be guided by the Holy Spirit, to be led and taught by the Holy Spirit how to live holy lives. I firmly believe that God's purpose for showing us the nation of Israel and bringing forth our Messiah into uh, 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 this world was to show us how to rightfully divide the profane from the holy. And so in knowing what is holy, we will pursue righteousness with all our hearts. Amen. And I continue to read. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall surely bring it back to him again. If you see the donkey or one who hates you lying under its burden and you would refrain from helping it, you shall surely help him with it. You shall not pervert the judgment of your poor in his dispute. Keep yourself far from a false matter. Do not kill the innocent and righteous. Mm, praise the Lord. What are we doing today? We are killing a lot of our innocence right in the womb. And we're finding an excuse as to why we do so. It's been celebrated in our culture, but God has remained the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, the question is, are we standing for the truth? Are we not profaning justice? Are we seeking after the justice of God, the judgments of God, and speaking them as they are? If we are doing these things, praise the Lord, my dear brothers and sisters, because that's what we've been called to do. Rightfully divide what is right from wrong according to the word of God. And if we are failing to do that in our society, then we are allowing evil to permeate more into our various spheres of society, having a bigger influence more than we are. Knowing very well that we have in us the Holy Spirit who is all-powerful, who is all-knowing. Well, if we are to exercise his righteousness, we will surely overcome evil. We go now into the New Testament. Jesus now is rebuking the religious leaders. These are hundreds of years down the generation. How has that word from a holy God been perverted down? As it was being passed down from generation to generation, what happened? If the word of God is not preserved in the households, in the families, what will happen is that Satan will take over and he will pervert it. This is the truth of the matter. Parents have been given the authority to pass down divine knowledge to their children in the hopes that that knowledge will pass down from generation to generation. We are in the book of Exodus. When we go to Matthew chapter 23, we hear the rebukes of Jesus to the religious leaders. The people who were handed down the Ten Commandments, who who supposedly received word from their parents. How is it that at that point, we hear Jesus saying, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. Let me go read some of these woes that Jesus was just really rebuking the religious leaders and really dissatisfied with them. So let me just read maybe from 1 to 12, Matthew 23 from 1 to 12. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples saying, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. 
Mm. That means they are claiming that they are children of Moses, that Moses is the one who received the commandments from God and they learned from Moses, the laws of Moses that they're living by, not only the ceremonial laws, but the moral laws that was handed to Moses by God to the people. And so they are sitting in that position of authority to exalt themselves and say, we are the ones you are to listen to like we listen to Moses. But the truth is Jesus is really rebuking them for their actions because they are not living the commandments that they were given. So therefore, what Ever they tell you to observe that observe and do but do not do according to their works mm. for they say and do not do and that there is the key we see that God over the generations before the coming of Jesus now he's coming to really reveal the truth and uncover the truth as to how the children of Israel have walked before him over the generations Although they have been over the years, over the centuries, many biblical figures being spoken of as ones who obeyed the word of God, who, you know, the prophets, uh, the teachers, uh, 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 the, the judges, all those who heard the word of God and obeyed it, we saw the blessings that proceed from that. But now we see that far along the generational lines, the same people who came from that lineage are now living in rebellion and Jesus is rebuking them because they turned the relationship of God to a religion. They stopped from teaching what it means to come into the presence of God in a state of holiness and they began to draw the praises after themselves. And since I can, I can honestly say, we can look around and see these happen in our society men and women of God whom we ought to pray for that they may repent and lead the flock in the right direction. Men and women of God have changed the word of God to fit their narrative so that they can receive the praise and the glory from the people whom they stand before. I think it's Isaiah 62 where God says, they treat the wounds of my people as though they were not serious. And they don't even know how to blush. It's like you know that the people of God are wounded in their sins. And you have been appointed head over them to heal those brokenhearted. The wounds that they have incurred through the acts of sin in their life. God has called you to bring healing. And yet you don't treat the wounds seriously. And our God is he's, he's hurting. And I can feel God in pain. Because the people whom God have called to lead over his flock are not leading according to the will of God, the purposes of God. They have created a religion rather than a relationship. And here we are. God is saying, I know your deeds. As he says in Romans chapter 2, when you go preaching these things, do you do what you preach? When you tell them to act in such a way that pleases God, do you act the same? And when the people see your actions, they blaspheme the name of the Lord because his name is being profaned by your actions. Again, God separating the profane from the holy. You know, I'm amazed by the scripture that says in the house of God, there is a vessel of honor and a vessel of dishonor. Meaning in the very house of God, there are people that are actively dishonoring God. And God will use them as an example to say that 
It doesn't matter what you say or do. If you dishonor me, his wrath will be upon you. But the ones who truly honor him, living in integrity, in love for him, obeying his commandments, seeking after him day and night, waiting upon him, those are the vessels that God says are vessels of honor in his house. Mind you, the two vessels are in his house. The question becomes, which vessel do you want to be? Do you want to be that vessel that will be separated and consecrated? Knowing what it means to live a holy life before your father, a blameless life. Because I know he has called us to be blameless, to be holy, to consecrate ourselves, to come out from among them and be separate and to touch no unclean thing. Why? Because that unclean thing will defile you. And if anyone lives in a state of defilement, they cannot honor God the way he wants. It is impossible to honor God in a state of defilement. Brother Terrence, I just, as you're sharing this, it's just so readily coming to mind some of our recent reading in Leviticus. And I just wanted to throw this in there, if I may. The story of Nadab and Abihu, who were sons of Aaron, the priest. And it says, Then Nahab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them. He killed them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy, and before all the people I must be glorified. Which gives us a real key into the things that you're saying and into understanding what the Lord considered to be profane before him. God has not changed. Just like you said, the um, ceremonial laws, those are obsolete. Those are what have been replaced, but God is still the same. He's still a holy God. He still has given us his law, which is intended to help us to discern right and wrong, to be able to distinguish what is holy and what is unholy. We have a responsibility before the Lord to respond to the call to holiness. You know, just like Joshua said, choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. As we mature, we start to realize if we just listen to the Lord, we would have avoided all of these things because his ways are right. Amen. So what stories in the scriptures, brothers and sisters, really resonate with you when you think of how God has always held his standard of holiness? When you first started speaking and you resonated something that's been on my heart for the last week about God's holiness. And I just, I wanted to go deeper with the holiness, knowing his holiness and how we are in, in many ways, don't have the fear of God anymore. We don't fear him. We don't reverence him. We don't, we mock him. You know, as you spoke of in our society today, we, we really do mock God and we water down his word and we just try to make it applicable to us. We start blaming Jesus for our stuff because something man did. And we see that all through the day. No one talks about holiness anymore. 
You know, God is holy. You have to be not of this world. You're in it, but you're not of it. And we just want to be more of the world, more of the world, more of the world. And, and then we okay in all kinds of sins that we're seeing and we're giving everything a thumbs up to it and like it's okay, you know. And, and I, I get really, really disturbed when I hear people, well, God knows my heart because you say it so, you know, just so flippant. Mm. He knows my heart and he's like, really? Really, really, do you know your heart? Do you know your heart? Mm -hmm. And, but you think, oh, well, you know, you, you'll say something or you do something, well, God knows my heart. And I'm like, you can't keep using that as an excuse every time. And, and not unless you've checked yourself. So I think, you know, all through Exodus and Leviticus, as we're getting into Leviticus and going into Matthew, and we see these things and God is just saying the same thing, you know, um, again and again and again, and we're not getting it. We ought to be peculiar people yes. and we're not peculiar anymore. We're not peculiar anymore at all. We just go with the status quo and it's hurtful to see. Sanctify them by your word. Thy word is true. God, again, calling for holiness. That's God's call. Be ye holy as I am holy. Walk blamelessly before me when he called Abraham. Okay, do the things that will be a good reflection of who I am. So when the people see you, they will see their God. That's why he said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he said he was going to be known by that name for all generations. Why? Why was he using Isaac, Abraham, and Jacob as a point of reference? When you see what they're doing, you will know that they are worshiping me, the one and only true God. So we love to say, Father, do your work in me. Cleanse me, purify me, purify my heart. Let it be as gold, as pure as silver. Refine as fire. My heart's one desire is to be holy, set apart for you, Lord. Why? Because we want that when people see you, they will know that you are not of the kingdom of this world. The kingdom of God has truly come. What did John the Baptist say? Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. He was, he was a representation of the kingdom of God because he lived the laws and the commandments of that kingdom, not the kingdoms of this world. So the kingdom of God is near. Let the kingdom come. How is it going to come in the world? You are the vessels. You are the temple. You are the, you are the peculiar people that my sister, Sister Connie just said. You are the nation of priests. We are that nation of priests. And so when we stand on this world to exercise the law of God, they will know it's not the law of this world because it'll be contrary to the law of this world, which will eventually, darkness and light have always fought each other. If you operate in the light, you will face opposition from the darkness. Why? Because you're walking in a state of holiness. You're being sanctified by the word of truth. And the word of truth is the word of God. And as you live out that life, you will come under opposition. That's something you cannot avoid. Amen. So there's so much to be said. We are now just seeing the consequences to not doing things God's way. Every wrong thing that you see happen in our society, it is simply because we have not been sanctified by the word of God to live according to its statutes, it, its commandments, 
and its laws. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the souls. And what does Pastor Sylvia often say? The soul is where our mind, our will, and our emotions reside. The Bible has told us to put on the mind of Jesus. The commandments of the Lord, they are perfect, converting the soul. Where your mind is, it converts it. You begin to do the things and you begin to think like God thinks. And then that thought now produces your will. I love what I'm, I'm thinking about. I want to do the will of God because it is good. In that same soul. Let not my will be done, Jesus said, but the will of the Father. It converts the will. It converts your emotions. So now you are not reacting according to your own emotions. What does the emotions of God produce? It produces compassion for the lost souls. You are compassionate. One who intentionally hurts you because you know the source of that action, you show compassion rather than retaliation. You know, the man doesn't wrestle against flesh and blood, but it's against the spiritual entities. So when you know the spirit that is acting behind the man, you can show compassion even in the face of evil standing in front of you. Because you know it's not the man, it's the spirit. Yes, he's blindly giving into the dictates of that demonic spirit. But the man needs deliverance. So rather than meet him at his point of anger, you meet him with compassion. That's how the law of the Lord converts your soul, the part of your soul which is your emotions. You don't act in anger when people sin against you. You act in compassion. Because Jesus acted in compassion. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they're doing. He could have retaliated. What happened when the disciple cut the ear of what? I could pray my father and he'll send a legion of angels to defend me. This is not the place and time for that. Heal the man's ear. Even in the face of evil, Jesus showed compassion. That's an emotion. So the law of the Lord is perfect. We can use another word, holy. It's perfectly good. It converts the soul where your mind, your will, and your emotions reside. That's where we see one of the purposes of the law of God. You're not meant for our evil. The devil has only made it seem or look evil and has used servants of his, even within the church, to pollute the word of God. And so we must pray for those servants that they may repent and lead the flock back to God. Some leaders are maybe corrupt, but God, what is impossible for man is possible for God. He can still convert that soul where they will put their mind on Christ. They will now seek the will of God and they will act with the proper emotion for the people of God so that the word that was said in Isaiah will not apply to them. They dress the wounds of my people as though they were not serious. That means someone is hurting. You have no compassion over that wound. And you just do whatever you feel like doing and you go. That's dressing the wound like there is no compassion. The children of God are perishing in their sins. And the leaders of God don't dress it with the, with the level of compassion that is needed. To bring healing. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Amen. And he was made the righteousness of God for our sake. For him who knew no sin became sin for us, 
that we may become the righteousness of God in him. The great doctrine of substitution. And I believe if we believe in Jesus and we take upon ourselves his light, he will take our death. Amen. I believe our point of prayer, our focus is that God, make me into the vessel that you have prepared me to be. Now, make me to be one of those whom you have selected in these last days to be the remnant. And let the numbers of the remnants increase so that together we can stand strong in who you are. There is great hope, even in the midst of all the things we are seeing today. There is great hope. And our hope is in Jesus Christ. Amen. He, he alone conquered sin. He took away the sting of sin, which is death. Amen. He rose from the dead. And all now who believe in him, though they die, they will live. Amen. And that is the great hope we have in Christ Jesus. So the minute we know what is destroying the world as we see it today, it puts a holy burden on us. And we begin to say, Father, how can we be a solution to the problem? Whom shall I send? And you will rise up eagerly and say, send me, Lord. Send me, Lord. I will go. So that your righteousness may abound. Because you are seeing by the revelation of God's law, the law reveals sin and the sin destroys the world. And because you love God's holy creation, you will respond with the compassion that you saw in our Lord Jesus Christ and say, Father, Forgive them. You will become an intercessor. You will become a, a, a minister of the word in, in whatever sphere you're put in. You have the zeal of God to say, let me go out into this world and shine the light of the gospel. And you know one thing I've, I've noticed? I think half of the time, most of the times when we are idle, there is a secular saying that says that an idle mind is the workshop of the devil. See, when we are idle and we don't have a sense of purpose, we literally open ourselves up for all sorts of thoughts that really align with worldly thoughts. But I have noticed one thing. When you are actively pursuing your purpose, there is something that's happening in that journey. You're spending time in the Word to equip yourself. You are in prayer because you know that through prayer, all things are possible. Without prayer, nothing. Unless the Lord builds, the builder builds in vain, right? You see that you are actively pursuing the purposes of God as he has revealed for your life. Where you see there is a steadfastness in reading the word. There is a, a continuous pursuit of righteousness and peace and holiness. There is a prayer life that is, is just exemplary. And then you see that sin no longer becomes so obvious because your focus is on righteousness. And I think that's the goal, my dear brothers and sisters. That's the, the whole purpose behind God revealing to us our purpose is so we can begin to work out our purpose to achieving what God has called us to achieve, knowing that he does the work. So seek him to complete the work. For it is God that worketh both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So once you have been revealed what your purpose is on the earth, the action begins. The action of seeking after God for him to fulfill that purpose in your life as you walk with him. And then sin starts taking a backstage. You become more sensitive to sin and you kind of realize that focusing on your purpose, your relationship with God, it, it doesn't make sin as obvious anymore because your life is in pursuit of righteousness. But if you're idle, 
anything that comes your way, you're tossed around by every wind of doctrine, as the scriptures say. Someone says something there, ah, I believe in that. And he says something there, oh, yeah, I believe. And you start walking and there is no sense of direction. And you waste your life just following and hearing to everything that everyone is saying, never achieving your purpose. So there is inherent direction once you understand what your purpose is on the earth. There is a road map for you to walk. And that map is not riddled with confusion because God is not the author of confusion. When the spirit of truth comes, he guides you unto all truth. So because you are indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the guidance is without a doubt that you will make it to your destination. Amen. So there is hope, my brothers and sisters. And oftentimes we come, we need to preach a balanced gospel, a gospel that encourages, but also a gospel that reveals what the condition of the world is. We, we need to understand the power behind the balanced gospel. Because if you don't preach that, it will be too much good and no revelation of what evil does. It will be too much evil and not realizing that there is good. You know, so we preach that balanced gospel so we can know that at the end of the day, let us not be too complacent in where we are. Let us continue to run that race that we have been put on.